Happy Thursday! Welcome to another edition of Canucks Talk on another Canucks game day. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Thomas Drance, also covering the team at the Athletic Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com, and of course, live at Rogers Arena, but also... Live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. And, of course, the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line is open. Um, not Wouldn't necessarily be kind of a big night, marquee matchup feel to this one, Trancer, with the records of the two teams. I don't know about marquee matchup, but it does feel like a special day uh, here at the rink because, of course... In addition to playing the Ducks, the Canucks are also celebrating Kevin Bieksa tonight, who signed a one-day symbolic contract with the team and will retire officially as a Vancouver Canuck. Congratulations to him. Legitimately one of my favorite players to watch from that team. Um, just because there were bigger hitters than Kevin Bieksa, but Kevin Bieksa played a game that just looked miserable to go up mm. against. Game in, game out. He was fast. He could transition the puck. You know, I suggested to him uh, to, during his availability, which we'll play. His, he, yeah. Listening to Kevin BX is a ton of fun. If you love this team, if you love this franchise, Kevin BX captures it. You know, he's he. that's his greatest skill. Like we, We'll talk about his playing days, but his greatest skill is that no one talks about this franchise in as compelling a fashion as him. Is he the most charismatic player the franchise has ever had, at least like publicly facing? No, Trevor Linden. It's Linden. By a lot. Linden in a press conference environment, I, you know, is is something to behold. In terms of like the retail side of being a public figure, no one has ever done it better than Trevor. All right. But I think there's some I think there's a case to be made for Bieksa just because the way I guess it's the co the comedy factor, the humor that Bieksa has right. inherent in everything he does and the way he can mix in comedy while still giving you really deep insights and really thoughtful answers is for sure. is pretty remarkable. Well, and and you could tell you could tell over the course of his presser just how much this means to him, how much this franchise means to him. And that's also I think the key, right? Uh, Linden and NBX share that, but Linden was never an HNIC analyst, mm. right? All of a sudden, this sort of broadcast that's always been seen by some fans as sort of a Eastern product messaging to Canucks fans, right? It's like has a guy who represents this franchise with just about as much pride as anyone ever has on a nightly basis, right? Like he's our Homer. <laughs> you know, and he does it so well. He does it so naturally. He's engaging television. He still sounds like he's from Welland, which is the best part, my favorite part. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it it uh, it all works. It all works. It's going to be a special night. You'd imagine the fan reaction is going to be through the roof. Oh yeah. And uh, and look, I thought we'll play his we'll play his uh, his full availability at some point, probably in our second segment or a third segment, but. Uh, it's must listen. Like he's just such an engaging chewer of scenery, and uh, and the pride that he has to be doing this tonight, uh, and for what he's meant to this organization, what this organization has meant to him. Uh, again, it just you can smell it, right? Like it's something that's undeniable. It hits you over the head, and I think it's why he resonates to such a you know to such an extent with fans, despite the fact that during his playing days, you know he probably wasn't a fan favorite. He became a fan favorite. I, I think no he was chance. even in his. No, he was still a fan favorite. No there, chance. there was criticism of him as well, but Constant. people appreciated that 
he was the kind of you know swashbuckling would drop the go- gloves but could also play. No. I I think he was look. Absolutely. I'm not saying there was revisionist history. No, no way. He was not a fan favorite the way that like a Dan Hamhuse was. He was seen as a riverboat gambler as a player. He was the the giveaways were picked apart. Like he he talked about it a little bit, but I I mean there's no way that in comparison with guys like Kessler, the Twins. You know Dan Hamhuis, Alex Edler, that and and Alex Edler after BXL left, sort of took his mantle, mantle. <laughs> took his mantle as like the unfairly <laughs> criticized top pair caliber defenseman. But like think about that playoff series with the Firkland quote, that Calgary series yeah. where the, you know and granted that BXL Spiza pair struggled and got sort of ground into dust by the uh, Calgary Flames forecheck. Like the criticism was through the roof. Yeah, it was. But I'm, I'm sorry. It was. I think when he was first of all coming up. You remember the K-Block days? Yes. I remember when he was coming up and when that team was at its absolute peak, right? Because by the time of the Calgary series, they're on the downslope and everyone, there's a recognition of that, I think, right? But when they were at their peak, I still think there was a, a lot of appreciation and that I would have called him a fan favorite at the time. The summer of 2010, every fan's tweets every day were trying to trade Kevin Bieksa. <laughs> I'm serious. Like he, there was there was, before Keith Ballard. He was the guy in every trade proposal. But it's 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 Vancouver. There's always going to be people criticizing everyone. No, totally. I'm just saying he was underrated as a player, and now he's become properly rated in people's imaginations because of his contributions as you know a, a raconteur representing this organization in in prominent places and absolutely destroying. Um, you know the the speech on Sedin night and and just the way that he's so proud to have spent his I'll, best uh, years yeah. as, uh, as a Canuck. I'll never forget the performance on Sedin night. It was just like it had the entire Rogers Arena just eating out of the palm of his hand. That's not stunning easy. Stunning stuff. Stunning really stuff. impressive. We'll talk more about Bjaxson as you said. We'll play back his presser because it's really great as as it is every time he gets in front uh, of a microphone and talks hockey. So we'll play that back later in the show. But yes, there is a game happening tonight as well. I should mention if you have a, a thought or a, a memory. Uh, of Kevin Bieksa, hit us up, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, it's the Canucks and the Ducks at Rogers Arena. And, you know, you have been kind of saying this is the cupcake opponent on the schedule. <laughs> all, all our listeners, by the way, are furious about this because they've bought into the revisionist history. I was in the trenches then fighting these fights. I tell you, no one was more criticized by Canucks Twitter from like 09 to 2012, the golden era. Than Kevin but I think that is potentially a first of all, how many people were on Twitter in that time? Not that a many. A lot. Not that many. A lot. And that's Vancouver. There you can also find people who are still have lots of bad things to say about the Sedines. Doesn't mean they're not beloved. <laughs> Doesn't mean they're not well, beloved the twins, here. The twins were fan favorites by then for sure. In a, in a way, I'm I, my recollection, my feel, having been engaged in those spaces constantly was that BXO was, you know, like, people liked him, but he wasn't, he was so routinely carved. Like, he was probably the most carved player on those teams. No, that'd be Luongo. Oh, yeah, okay, you're right. It but, was Luongo. Yeah. So he was the most carved skater. Sure. Um, Maybe. Uh, yeah. Uh, but Luongo was also a fan favorite. It's just that he was, uh, he was such well, a Well, I think Luongo, Luongo... It captures the dichotomy I'm talking about. Yeah. That you can be both a lightning rod and a fan sure. favorite, right? Sure. You okay. can be both in this market. And I think Kevin Bieksa was. Anyway, he was a memorable well. player and and legitimately a top pair caliber defender, even though I don't know that he was credited with that uh, for most of his playing career. Um, anyways, Canucks versus Ducks. And, uh, you know, 
you've been kind of, uh, as I said, calling them the cupcake opponent on the schedule this week. And we've had some texts from people saying, you know, Drance, what are you talking about? There's nothing easy. There are no easy games for the Canucks right now. Uh, and I'm tempt- tempted to agree with that one. But having said that, you kind of dig into, like, the record's not good, even though the Ducks have won a couple in a row. And, yes, they have a better record than the Canucks, so that's that's a very fair point. But you kind of dig into a lot of what they're doing and their their underlying numbers and just their overall profile. They have been really, really bad. Really bad this year. They do not have a single thing in their kind of team-wide game to hang their hat on. Now, there's a couple individual exceptions, which I'll get to, but... They're not controlling play at all. Like, bottom 10 in scoring chances for. Bottom 10 in scoring chances against. They're they're bad at both ends. Awful special teams. Horrendous special teams. Second last in the league in both. Second worst power play. Second worst penalty kill. Ahead of only the Canucks on the penalty kill. Their goaltending has been bad. Like, there's no phase of the game where they are having success right now. And I'm not saying all this to say, and therefore the Canucks are going to steamroll the Ducks. I really just found it very notable. Like, even the Canucks, you can say, well, the power play's been clicking. You know, they've been doing eh. a decent job of, eh. of uh, uh, well, they're, they're converting at the very least. Eh. <laughs> they're like top five in the league. But they're not. They're not really top five the, in the league. The underlying process has not been there. Not, not, I get not, that. Not just that. Not just that. They're, they're tied with six teams for 12th by goal differential, right? So their power play has at best been average in terms of real value. And, you know, the, the top five conversion rate is sort of an empty calorie um, an empty calorie accomplishment, right? Uh, just straight up, right? They're, they've got – their power play has been worth seven extra goals to them, um, which is not where it would be if they hadn't surrendered three shorties, right? They'd be the second best with ten if they were uh, if they were actually limiting what they were giving away on the power play. That's, that's the issue with it, right? It's not outscoring teams by as wide a margin as the top five conversion rate suggests. So anyway, yeah, okay, you're right. The Canucks are a lot better than Anaheim. I'm sorry, they are. They are. This should be an automatic two-point night. I think the Ducks. I had, I had high expectations for this Ducks team, um, like far higher than the public. I thought they were going to be able to move the puck. I thought they were going to be, you know, that they had the profile of a team that could maybe surprise because they have a mobile defense attached mm. to some high-end skill. Instead, they just looked so disorganized. I mean, if you if you've been watching the Canucks and been left wanting, um, just wait till what you see. How, how you see the Ducks play tonight. Like, they have been such a disorganized, ill-prepared mess almost every game, That to my eyes. And and that's, you know, coming from someone who actually thinks they have the skill to be certainly, you know, a mid-70s to low-80s point t- total team. From what I've seen, no chance. Especially with Drysdale out and, you know, the only real bright spots now in the lineup for Anaheim, it's Trevor Zegras and it's Troy Terry, and that's carrying over – from last year, and I want to highlight them because not only are they putting up points, and you know, there's you see this a lot in hockey, right? Where look, somebody's got to put up the points on a bad team. Somebody's going to get the first line minutes. Somebody's going to get the power play minutes. Somebody is going to end up putting up some points, typically. But a lot of times, it's well, yeah, they're scoring, but they're giving it all back on the defensive end. How much are they actually moving the needle? Zegers and Terry, you look at their underlying numbers. Not only are they scoring, they're actually doing a really impressive job of controlling play. Like, when they're out there, Anaheim is actually playing in the right end of the rink. And it's not like, oh, they're breaking even. They're significantly outperforming the opposition when those guys are out there. And that's really impressive considering how, uh, let's say, unimpressive the rest of the Anaheim Ducks roster has been. So uh, those are the bright spots. You know, those are going to be the guys that the Canucks have to key in on tonight. And I will say, you know, high-end talent 
has really tortured the Canucks this year, with maybe the exception of the Pittsburgh game where Crosby and Malkin were largely held in check. Gaudreau, McDavid, Kaprizov, we have seen those really high-end players uh, feast on the Canucks. I'm curious to see if that will continue uh, with Trevor Zegris and potentially Troy Terry as well tonight. Uh, some interesting lineup notes from the Canucks practice game day skate this morning. Uh, first of all, Kevin Bieksa went out there to take a spin with the guys. That was pretty cool. But in terms of who's actually going to be sitting, uh, suiting up for the Canucks tonight, it looks like Niels Hoaglander is coming out of the lineup. He'll be a healthy scratch. Sheldon Dries drawing in. The top six remains the same. Horvat between Garland and Miller. Patterson with McKayev and Kuzmenko. And then on your third line, you've got Sheldon Dries, Tanner Pearson, Vasily Podkolzin, and a fourth line of Niels Amon, Dakota Joshua, and Jack Studnika with Hoaglander as the odd man out dancer. Hoaglander is the odd man out once again, right? I mean, Boudreaux, I asked him about it after the skate, asked him if he'd chatted with Hoaglander, what he needs to do to be a fixture in the lineup. He didn't want to comment, said the conversations will stay between the player and the coach. Totally fair. And then added, but he knows what it is. I think we all know what it is. He needs to produce. He needs to score. Mm-hmm. And yet you look at that Devils team, right? That Devils team is loaded with Bockvist, Zetterland caliber players that are very much in line with what Niels Hoaglander is. Like, this is what a modern bottom six forward looks like in the NHL. A hardworking battle winner who's fast enough to support, you know, uh, the transition game. And for whatever reason, the Canucks expectations, whether it's the Canucks expectations or what they want out of their third line seems to be at odds with what every other team in the league is doing. Is This club's not at their best when Hoaglander's not in the lineup. Period. Particularly given where their specific struggles are, which are so often in the speed game and in transition. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but that's what the Canucks are deciding to do. The other thing that stands out to me is it's Sheldon Dries who was recalled by the team today, and he comes in. You know, this is Niels Hoaglander dropping out of the lineup before Brock Besser is even back, right? Brock Besser didn't skate today. He was a game-time decision on Tuesday. We'll see. You know, it sounded like he was potentially going to come back at some point this week. We'll see if that materializes when Brock Besser is back in the lineup. But that's going to happen, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, you're already out. Another winger that is obviously going to be back in the lineup is is on the horizon. It's going to become really, really difficult, especially with the addition of, of Jack, Stu, uh, Jack Stunica to the forward group for Niels Hoaglander to find a way to crack this lineup. Like, even if he improves on the things, it's just, well, who else are you taking out? That That's going to be the question here uh, sooner rather than later, I think, for Niels Hoaglander. The other thing just, is just th- like it is for Jack Rathbone, just like it is for Kyle Burroughs, because the Canucks have also split up their deep pairs. I mm-hmm. assume that's where you were going. Yeah, well, the other thing I wanted to mention at forward is I did think it was – and I don't want to make this a massive criticism of the player or anything because he's just adjusting to the organization, but I did think it was interesting that after one game at center, Stunica finds himself on the wing – uh, on the very much clear-cut fourth line with Niels Amon and Dakota Joshua. Again, you know, look, it's not as if to say, oh, that that trade's a disaster already. He's not even sticking at the wing. No, that's not what I'm saying. I just That, that caught my eye, especially because Boudreaux openly talked about, hey, we need a right-handed center. We, we could really use a guy who could play center and be right-handed. Studica, potentially that, but he's going to be on the wing uh, tonight. But as you said, they split up their defense pairings. It's still Hughes and Shen. Below that, really, OEL and Myers have been split up. So it's Riley Stillman and Tyler Myers, Oliver ekman Larson, and Ethan Bear, and then Rathbone Burroughs are going to be the healthy scratches on the blue line tonight. Yeah. Um, let's uh, When we play the Boudreaux audio, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I suggest fans listen to the answer because 
uh, on splitting his D pairs because, you know, he essentially says, I like Stillman with Myers because he's a stay-at-home guy, reliable, that might help, right? And I like Bear with OEL because he's mobile. And so, you know, we used to talk about how Stetcher was like a good fit for Edler because he could help cover for some of Edler's declining mobility, um, you know, later on in his career. And it felt like that. Mm-hmm. It felt like that was sort of the implication there. And that's a tough spot to be in, I think, considering the commitment that this club has made to OEL and the term remaining on it. Uh, you know, likewise with uh, with Stillman and Myers. Um, at the end of the day, this team does have to try something. That pair has not been what they need it to be. And so we'll see, we'll see how it works. We, we saw them split a little bit after Shen left the game the other night. I thought Stillman and Myers had some moments together. I think Bear had you know other than the jack hughes stuff which was really impressive and the type of play that there's just not a lot of connects defenders that can make not a lot of nhl defenders that can make it with the way jack hughes slices through the opposition you know so you saw proof of concept right that's what bear can be but it's going to take him a little bit to adjust i didn't think we saw a lot of the good first pass stuff that bear will bring in time once he's acclimated um in his in his connects debut obviously the organization though uh, you know, is invested in this, needs to give him a long look, and, and we'll see where it goes. Um, I, I think there's a lot to like there, uh, a lot to like in the potential calibration of OEL with Bear. Uh, but, you know, I, I thought his answers about what he was looking for with the new pairs sort of spoke volumes about what he's not getting from Ekman, Larson, and Myers to this point. It's a, it's honestly a bit of a tough spot for Ethan Bear to be in as well, right? Like, yeah, that's, they lined up as kind of the third pair tonight, but you would still expect, expect them to see a significant chunk of minutes. And, you know, for a guy who hasn't played a lot of hockey, right, even dating back to last year, coming into a new organization, wants to make a good impression, Oliver Ekman, Larson is, is – he's not playing well right now, right? And so now that's your partner, and you're going to be asked to do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of handling the puck, making plays, getting the team going in transition. We'll see, but it's just, like, that's a really, really difficult spot, I think, for Ethan Bear tonight to thrive in. Not saying he can't do it, but, and look, I mean, you got to... Although they took rushes as the third pair. That might not be a tough minutes assignment. That That might fall to Stillman and Myers at the moment. So, you know... While I agree with you, I, I also think this might be a sort of deployment situation that can allow Ekman Larson to hopefully find some of his legs, maybe play fewer minutes, like really simplify his game, focus on the power play, and uh, and find and you know find his sea legs, as it were. And this is some, that's something if this club's going to make the type of run you need to now make if you're going to make the playoffs or even threaten to make the playoffs, right? Um, even even deliver fans what what they enjoyed through the last four or five months of the season last year. You're going to need Ekman Larson to be, you know, at least at least close to the player that he was last year for this team. The um, I guess the other thing with Anaheim is it's not as if this is, you know, Edmonton or like the Maple Leafs or something where it's like, oh, man, we got a bunch of really talented lines, and really talented units that we've got to account for and who's going to match up with who. There are hiding spots in this lineup, let's just say. If you are trying to shelter a defensive pair a little bit, you can get them out against this bottom six, which has not done anything for the Anaheim Ducks, and you're, you're feeling pretty good hey, about putting them Jakob out there. Hey, I thought Jakob Silverberg had a good shot into his own net the he other night. He sure did. And don't a pure snipe, a pure snipe. And don't sleep on local kid Derek Grant. Derek Grant is sick. Derek Grant's one of my, like, Absolute, one of your guys? Absolutely one of my guys. A, a way more useful bottom six piece than people realize with the versatility to play both wing and center. 
big Derek Grant guy. There you go. There's uh, Grant's guy for tonight on Anaheim. Derek Grant getting the. Uh, well, the no, sorry. I have a lot of guys on Anaheim. This whole team of is approval. my guys. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why you're so disappointed. I'm in them. so disappointed. <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, thought, I vouched for you. I thought they'd have a shot to do not, not like I thought they'd have a shot to do Kings light this year. I yeah. thought this was a team poised to take a step. Instead, we really I, haven't seen I, it. I know one of the reasons you were high on the Ducks, or relatively high on the Ducks, was the fact that with Klingberg, with Drysdale, they would have a lot a lot of ability to move the puck from the blue line. Oh, yeah. How, they're, they're how does fine. that stand without Drysdale they're, in the lineup in your eyes? They're still fine in that respect because you still have Fowler, right? Like Kulikov, I like a lot as, as sort of a defensive defender, but he can, he can get you going north-south. So, I mean, I still think that's not the issue. Mm. The issue to me is, like, wh- here's the thing to watch for is Troy Terry two on or one on two against the defenders with no support and <laughs> skating to try and create his own rush chance. And then ultimately there's too much pressure. And so he shoots it wide. And that feels like the tip of the spear of the Anaheim Ducks attack. And considering the talent there, the young talent there, I find that extremely disappointing. Like, Zegras has been good. Terry has been good, but they they should be getting more out of guys that good. They should be getting a lot more. It just feels like they're not attacking successfully as a five-man unit despite having the personnel where you you'd expect them to be effective or at least or at least moderately threatening in that spot. They're not. It's a little surprising to see their power play struggling, and I haven't looked at the underlying numbers to see if they're just getting unlucky or anything like that, but they're, I think, 6.7% right now. Again, second last in the league. By the way, Columbus has not scored a power play goal yet this year. They're over 25 to start the season, which is really remarkable. Also, one of the best power plays in the league at the moment is the Arizona Coyotes. Yes. So, small sample size, exactly. No, no, no. There's something going on. I, I, I legitimately was looking at the Canucks power play and sort of trying to determine what was going on there. And, you know, I, I was like, oh, my God, I have to watch a bunch of Coyotes games now. They're doing something interesting. But, yeah, I mean, the Coyotes are also shooting 26%. So yeah. some of this is smoke and mirrors, but, but I do it's, just, not all, it's I, not all smoke and mirrors. I do just look at it. Like, even without Drysdale, okay, Klingberg. Klingberg can run a power play in the NHL. you got Klingberg, Zegris, Terry. Like, okay, that should be the, the foundation for at least a, a decent-ish power play. So I'm going to be curious to see. Uh, if they get going, and of course, hey, they get to play the the worst pen- penalty kill in the league tonight. So they're, maybe that will be the tonic <laughs> for the Anaheim Ducks. They're not generating play. much, but yeah. but they have Newell Brown. He's one of the best power play coaches in the sport, uh, and they have the talent that you'd think they will get sorted out. I wonder how much losing Ryan Getzlaff, you know, and not having like uh, like remember Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yes, okay. I do. You know, like uh, like the brain that you could put in a muscle suit? <laughs> I feel like they've lost their brain. You know, that's like, I feel like this is a team with some like, with like a strong body, but no brain. So they're just not doing the the, the right stuff. I wonder how important Getzlaff was culturally and in terms of sort of translating uh, systems onto the ice and, and creating an environment where the team could play with some discipline. Because the Ducks weren't good last year, but they at least played with some discipline. This year, it's really off the rails for me when I watch them play uh, unique around the league. Like, I don't even think this about the Canucks. I watch the Canucks. I don't think they look disorganized for the Mm. most part. I think there's a lot of elementary mistakes. I think the personnel is lacking. But, you know, I wouldn't look at the Canucks. I don't watch the Canucks and think, that's a poorly coached team. Now, granted, I didn't think that last season either and a lot of other people disagreed with me and and certainly the coaching change changed a lot for them 
but I don't look at I, I look at the Ducks and I'm just like they look disorganized. It looks like whatever they're trying to do isn't being implemented at all on the ice. And I really wonder how much losing Getzlaff, losing that sort of like heart and soul veteran experience uh, and not having a guy replace him really. Right. I mean, not that they don't have experienced guys, not that they don't have Kevin Shattenkirk and Kulikov, but there's a different gravitas, like a hall of fame bound. One of the best passers, power play players of his generation. And, And who remained super effective late into his career because he was this big guy who was still skilled and was so smart at making sure that, Guys like Troy Terry were in the best spots and, and on and on. So I sort of wonder if they've just lost some of that that heft and, and that you're feeling that in terms of how it translates. Like more than more than criticism of Eakins, that's sort of what I wonder about the most when I watch the Ducks play is just how much they're missing sort of that guy who can implement something like culture or structure into their game. Final note for the Canucks lineup tonight, Spencer Martin starting in that confirmed by Bruce Boudreaux. Not a major surprise with the way he's playing. Uh, the way Demko is playing, so you'd certainly expect Demko to come back and get the start on Saturday against Nashville, but it will be the backup, Spencer Martin, getting the go for the Canucks tonight. We'll take a quick break. Uh, We'll come back and we'll play. It's a long one, but it's really good. Kevin Bieksa spoke to the media not that long ago here at Rogers Arena. You'll hear from Bieksa uh, on his night at Rogers Arena. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live from the Kintec studio at Rogers Arena. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, we got a lot of feedback yesterday, Dranser, in our first segment when we uh, started the show with uh, yelling. some ranting and raving Just about the yelling. state of the Canucks, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I think we might have had even more people upset mostly i have seen a couple of voices agreeing with you uh but mostly very overwhelmingly upset. very upset, upset with me there was somebody who said uh like typical drance he's technically right but in a way that makes everyone want to <laughs> argue with him <laughs> hey there you go and i capturing the drance experience and i just want to note technically right is the best type of right <laughs> yes, to be yes exactly hey, hey look if you if you if you hated that are we going to run BX Audio now? We are sure going to okay. run Kevin BX Wait Audio. Wait for me to tell BXA himself that he wasn't a fan <laughs> favorite. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, Kevin BX about an hour ago, he was at Rogers Arena holding court as he does with the assembled media. Here is former Canucks defenseman Kevin Bieksa. Honestly, like looking up and looking forward to this like a week ago, two weeks ago, all my family's like, are you, are you excited? Like, how do you feel? And I was like, no, no, like, you know, a little nervous, a little anxious about how this whole thing's going to go about and... And then when I landed in and take the shuttle to the hotel, check in, and everything is just first class like it usually is with the Canucks. And it's not like that everywhere across the league. It's not a shot at any other organization, but this organization has always treated me with first class and my family, and everything just felt so good. It's, like, it was, it's a weird feeling to describe, but it's like, it's like being home. And started my career here, obviously had my kids both at Vancouver General Hospital, and coming back and walking into this arena it was such a good feeling. Stepping on the ice, I don't know if you guys saw the morning skate, but I dominated out there. <laughs> but uh, just like that ice felt good again. It's, it's just a weird feeling to describe. It's so many good memories. And, and so far, like this, this experience has been amazing. Super grateful for the Canucks and for, for Jim Rutherford for calling me in the summer. 
we had something kind of in the works with the old regime back in uh, 2020. COVID happened. We all know that. And that didn't fall, you know. And then after that, it's not like one of those things where I'm going to come and ask again. You just kind of wait and see how it unfolds. And luckily, there's some great people. Alex Mitchell again, another shout out uh, with the Canucks that were pushing for this to get done for, for themselves and the fans, but also for, for me and my family to have some sort of closure. And it's been, it's been amazing. So try not to be too much of a distraction. Like I had a little, you know, nice morning skate in the dressing room, trying to talk with the guys. But I understand what's going on right now, and I understand what's what this team is up against. And it's a big game tonight for both teams, really. I know you don't care about the other one, but um, it's a big game. They both need wins. So I'm trying to, like, do my thing and, and enjoy it, have closure for my family, but not distract the rest of the guys. What was your message to the players this morning, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, you were all um, winning when you played. So could you impart some of that to them today? I didn't want to preach to the players. I'm not their coach, but I, I think I just spoke a little bit of, which I think they can have, you know, they can relate to, is, is the culture. I think the, the thing that I'm the most proud of with my tenure with the Canucks was not, not the finals, not, you know, the, uh, the president's trophies. It was the culture we had here for a good, I'd say a good, like, six to ten years. Um, and I knew it was good because when players would come from other teams, or Bo would come up, or draft picks, they would tell us, this is a good culture. This is something special. Guys from other teams that had played for like 10 years, like this is special. And the culture was so special because there was a lot of us that were uber competitive with each other. We all wanted to be better than the other person. We all battled and we all tried to perfect our craft, whether it was tipping pucks in front of that. This is it's almost verbatim what I told these guys this morning, but it was just about having pride in what you do, being competitive about it, and pushing each other. And I think that, you know, that's, that's the, the sign of a good team with a good identity. You're remembered for so many things, Kevin, but how would you like to be remembered um, in the big picture? I mean, you, you put the fear into the opposition, but you also had a 40-point year. You had 12 goals. Three. <laughs> and you're played 20-plus minutes a night. So is that how you well, want go, to be keep remembered? Going, keep going. All-time uh, <laughs> most goals for Canucks Stanchion, defensemen in the playoffs. goal, yeah. <laughs> Embellishment, I mean, yeah. Like, it's funny, it. like everyone know, remembers the fights first yeah. and foremost. Yeah, yeah. And I'm super proud of the fights because, um, like, I'm self-taught. I grew up just scrappy in general with two brothers and a dad. And, and I'm super proud of the fights because most of them were sticking up for a teammate or trying to give our team an edge. But... You know, I, I'm also proud. Like, I also call myself a skill guy. I know I wasn't a skill guy, but I could play the game too. I wasn't just a slug out there. But I think, like, being a good teammate was always really important to me. So, like, my wife put together a little video with, I think, like, 55 of my ex-Canucks teammates, all giving, like, a little blurb. And I, I teared up. And, uh, turn them. <laughs> but, like, just everyone mentioned, like, you were a good teammate. You were fun to be around. I think that's super important to me. And we talked to last week when the Pens were in town. He said, oh, you, uh, you were a little better than they thought you'd. You turned out a lot better than they thought you could be. Does yeah. That, when you hear something like that, what do you, what do you think? Standard, standard was low, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, Berkey's like a really good friend now and, and mentor, and we've talked a lot over the years working together, and he's like, your skating wasn't good. I'm like, what? Like, I thought my skating was my asset. <laughs> so there's something wrong with the evaluation there. But no, Berkey gave me an opportunity, and I think he liked my mentality and the way I just battled and competed. So um, who knows if it would have turned out the same way with another team and GM. But you know, Berkey gave me my first chance for sure, so I owe him a lot. Kevin, what's, what's the memory that's kind of sticking with you as you prepare to close this chapter of your life here? 
Uh, I just, I never like looked back and reminisced at all in my career. I was always like tunnel vision, like what's next? You know, what, what do we need to do next to have a good season? Complete, like what's the next game, the next, you know, big thing. I never really like looked back and enjoyed it. So I think now that I haven't played in five, almost five years, now like I'm starting to kind of reminisce a little bit and look back. And my son's getting older, he's 15 and he's been playing hockey competitively for a long time and and his buddies are starting to ask me more questions about when I played and stuff like that. So it's just like a time to kind of like look back and reflect because I never did that through my career. So you just kind of enjoy, you know, a lot of the, the accomplishments now and, and the struggles that it took to get there. And, and then all the people that helped, you know, it takes a village, right? And I didn't invite everybody here, but the people that are in my suite tonight are like, there's, there's my suite and another one. So there's like probably like 30 of the most influential people in my career that are all here. And it's fun to be able to, my one brother's not here because he's on a trip somewhere, but other than him, and I wish my grandparents were alive to see this, but like all those people, I owe them a lot because I wouldn't have been here without them. Kevin, when you talk about the qualities that made you a good teammate, do you think that those have, have transitioned and been part of what has made you so successful so quickly in, uh, on Hockey Night in Canada as a broadcaster? When I came into Hockey Night, it was like officially, like in the, on the panel, it was the week after Don Cherry was fired. So there, there was a lot of tension and, and adversity, and it was, there was like, it was thick in there. And I came in, and honestly, like, I approached it like being on a hockey team. I, I just wanted to be a good teammate, make it light, a little levity here, joke there, tease this person, but they know that I still care about them. So, like, I haven't tried to do anything special with, with the panel and the hockey night. I just approach it like a team. Like, Elliot's my team member, Ron's my team member, Jennifer, Kelly. And I love them, but I also like to have fun and keep things light and I think everybody performs better when they're light. Like, Shorty's so tense before the shows, and that's why, like, his voice cracks all the time. Like, I don't want that. So <laughs> I keep it light. And uh, the, the team, if the team gets along and, and it's pushing in the right direction, usually you have a good product. How much has your experience as, like, a youth hockey coach helped you be a broadcaster? Tons. Tons. So when I break down, I've had people and friends and guys in the NHL say, you can break down things where it's understandable everybody knows the game that that plays like everybody in both dressing rooms they know the game but it's it takes like a while to develop how to like teach it and be concise and be clear uh and teaching and coaching kids for as long as i have been like 10 years i've been coaching kids and then i started my academy four years ago where i'm like the primary guy every day teaching coaching trying to figure out a way to get through to these kids make it so easy uh, that's helped a ton because I'm able to break it down for the Canadian hockey fan where, and they're pretty knowledgeable. I think it'd be different in the U.S., but in Canada, they're pretty knowledgeable. So you can't like dumb it down because they're, they're an educated fan, but you also have to make it understandable so they can actually appreciate what you're saying. And then take them somewhere too, I suppose, because you can't mm -hmm. just be like, here's what happened. You have to understand the bigger picture of why it happens the same with the player exactly. I guess it's a great it's a great game and there's so much strategy involved and sometimes it's so fast that you just you're just watching the speed of the game and how quick everything's happening and then if if you can slow it down you can kind of show well this is why that happened and this is what he's actually trying to do like as much as you think guys just go out there and wing it and just like react it's there's a strategy in all three zones you have a responsibility and you have like kind of a general idea of what you have to do and then you, you operate within the system and then if you have like a special skill set you can make some pretty skilled plays like within the system so I just try to make that a little bit more clear.
when did that start coming clear to you at when you were playing? It didn't. Huh. I, I never, <laughs> I never thought that. You mean like the me, like getting into media? You know now, and, yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, I never thought I'd be in media. I know, like some people, like thought, oh, it'd be natural. I never thought it'd be in media, and I just. I, when I first stopped playing, I told myself, and I had some good advice, I'm not going to say no to anything. I'm going to try everything once. So every opportunity, whether it was business and, and, uh, or hockey or sports, like I did a lot of things. I tried a lot of things, and this media thing just happened to work out well. Kevin, it's easy. Like, what an easy job, eh? It looked like you, <laughs> Kevin, it looked like you shared a nice moment with your mom in the stands. Uh, what's it like coming full circle uh, with your family uh, that obviously uh, uh, took you through uh, all the stages of minor hockey uh, and then to bring, it, uh, bring some closure today? Yeah, like, like my mom just, as soon as I saw her, she's like, so many good memories in this rank. Like my mom has been obviously like anyone's mom. She's been a huge part of my life and so many good memories early in my career I remember when I went to Vino and I said, we, we had the father's trips every couple of years, and I said, can we do a mother's trip? And he's like, oh, okay. And then so we had the moms all come, and that's like the highlight of my mom's, you know, of the decade for her was going to California. It was, I think it was Anaheim and L.A., and uh, the moms all came in. We lost both games, but so that was the last mother's trip, I think, that this organization's <laughs> ever had. But, and we always won with the dads. But my mom still talks about that. She's like, I remember, like, Kyle Wellwood's mom doing this and Kessler's mom saying that. And, like, she has so many great memories from this organization. And then on top of that, I went to Vino a couple years later. I go, can we have a siblings trip? And he goes, that's a great idea. What's a sibling? <laughs> <laughs> so then we had a siblings trip, and that was we won both games for that. So I don't know if you've had one since, but um, yeah, good memories right there. Uh, almost since he arrived in this organization, people have been saying Quinn Hughes is the best offensive defenseman this team has ever had. It's got to be hard for you not to take that personally. Did you see the two terrible passes he gave me in the skate this morning? <laughs> so we're doing, we're doing wakey-wakey, which is a drill that everybody in the NHL does. He puts himself behind me and is like, go ahead. So he's passing to me at some point. And after practice, I go over to my son on the bench and I go, what do you think? He goes, Quinn gave you two burgers, like right in your triangle. I'm like, I know, number one defenseman, can't put one on my team. I think he did it on purpose. <laughs> Try to embarrass me. No, like, he's, he's a great player to watch. He's a lot of fun, and uh, he's the new age defenseman for sure. It would have been fun to play with him. It would have been a lot of fun to have him as a partner instead of some of the other slugs I had to play with. <laughs> Kevin, do you, you, you bring up new age defensemen. Um, considering your defensive skills and ability to move the puck, do you almost wonder if you were – five, ten years ahead of your time based on your style of play? I, I think I would, I could adapt. I always felt like I could adapt. To, like I talked to some people that are like, that played in the 90s, they're like, you would have been great in our era. And then now like, you always think that you can adapt, right? That, like I always prided myself on being, like we joke around about being an offensive defenseman. I, I consider myself a complete defenseman my whole career. So I wanted to be good at every part of the game. I wanted to be physical, tough, block shots, but I also wanted to move the puck, be skilled. I wanted to be on the power play every year. I wanted to be in the penalty kill. So with that, I hope I could have played in any era. I don't know. I would have tried. One thing that you've talked about before is the day after losing the cup final in 2011, getting the call and, and ultimately extending your contract, uh, not testing free agency that time, leaving some money on the table to be here. Uh, and that's sort of in the wake of one of the worst days this franchise has ever had. What does that say about how you feel about this organization and hockey in this city? 
Well, I never wanted to leave this organization. And then fast forward to my last year, I, I was asked, and I understand it's a business, I was asked, your contract's expiring. You know, Cass already left. Burr was on his way out. Uh, we're, we're going young. Get it, you know, business. But I never wanted to leave. I still said, uh, actually, can I stay? And they're like, no, like, I think you got to leave. And <laughs> so I never actually wanted to leave, but I did, obviously. And then, but this, I always consider this home. I always considered myself a Canuck. When I was in Anaheim, and uh, I love my teammates in Anaheim, but they used to say, you and Kess talk about Vancouver a lot. You guys are always talking about Vancouver. I'm like, well, it's the way we did it here. We had a good thing going for a long time. A lot of good memories. We had a really great culture and a lot of success. And so I always considered myself a Canuck, even um, when I left. I, I, I want to formulate this right because I'm not wearing a helmet. Um, whether, whether, whether you were a fan favorite or not in your playing days, since then, between the Sedin speech and the way you seem to represent a, a, a Canucks point of view on Hockey Night in Canada, you've almost emerged as this, like, raconteur, like the person who represents this franchise for fans, and it's almost deep in that bond. Are you aware of this sort of dynamic? Does that mean anything to you? I, I think I'm a little bit aware of it, because I don't... This is the first time I think anyone's ever done something like this in this organization. So that's the one thing, right, Alex? So, like, I'm pretty honoured about that. Like, I'm pretty honoured that... You know, like, I'm, they're, they're allowing me to do this. I just talked with Jim upstairs, Rutherford, and I'm like, I'm very appreciative of you doing this because I don't remember the organization ever doing this for anybody. So, no, like, it, I, I think I know, but th this organization means a lot to me too. So it's a two-way street for sure, but uh, I owe a lot to this organization, and I think I left it all out on the, on the ice and in the community for this, for this team as well. Pride do you have in the community work that you did while you were here and the mental health advocacy that's gone on top of that? So, well? like, that comes with the territory, I think, with being a Canuck. And, and luckily, we have a great alumni here. And when I came up, the alumni were around a lot, like the Kirk McLeans and uh, Harold Schnapps, and, and, and Steamer was my coach in the minors, so him as well. But, like, the Yurke Lumi, all the guys that you see around all the time, Dave Babich. Uh, Pat Quinn, and they set the precedent, I think, and they show you the way, and then you follow, and you learn this is how we do it in Vancouver. You're not just a hockey player. You're in the community. You're doing hospital visits. And then it's pretty cool to see everybody branch off to what they're passionate about after that. So you do, like, the mandatory, even though you're not really forced, but the things that you're asked to do as a team, and then everyone kind of goes out on their own little, like the, the Sedins are donating money to the children's hospital. That's important to them. I'm going mental health, like Burroughs is doing his thing, you know, speech therapy or whatever he was involved with. <laughs> Cass is doing modeling shoots. Like we all went our separate ways and did, and did our own charity, uh, charitable endeavors. But that, that came with the territory. And obviously the mental health thing, it's not like I didn't choose it. It fell into my lap, you know, by circumstance. And I kind of took it because that was, you know, what happened. It was a big loss for me and for the organization and tried to do as good of a job as I could with that about Rick on a day like today? I do. Like, I think about him, and he was in that video that my wife showed, and I think about, like, Wes, his brother. I kind of wish Wes was here. I kind of wish I, I reached out to him because he was a big part. Rick and I, like, everyone knows the story. So like, we came up together, brought up, same day, called up, spent so much time, grinded it out in the minors, fought back-to-back -back in a line brawl, I remember, in Manitoba. Like, so many good memories. Lived with me, knew about my daughter being born before I did. Knew that, was there when I asked my brother to be my best man. Like, so many amazing memories. Uh, so, it's been such a long time now. It's sad. Uh, Kevin, you're 
probably going to get a very warm reception from the fans tonight. Can you just talk a little bit about uh, what that kind of acknowledgement means to you and your relationship with the fans here over the years? Yeah, it's good, but like it wasn't like I was always like the hero, right? Like you used to carve me all the time, right? Like I, I came out of the gates, and let's be honest here, right? Like it's not like my road has been like this. <laughs> Got me my contract. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like so, like I came out of the gates, and and I had a really good first couple years, and then I got injured, and production was down, and I was called on it. I was called on it by the media, by the fans, and then responded. Then I had another injury, production went down. So that that's the great thing about Vancouver. I had this argument with Kelly Rudy the other day, and he's like, "Oh, I would never want to. I never wanted to play in a Canadian city in my career." And I'm like. I want. I always want. I actually loved it. And he's like, "Well, there's so much scrutiny." I go, "Yeah, but there's so much great accolades when you're playing well, and then when you're not, you're held accountable." So what's so bad about that? Like, you're a little bit sensitive when you're a player, and you hear stuff about you in the media that's negative. I go, "But that comes with the territory." Yeah, I think the good far outweighs the bad of playing in the Canadian market. And while my tenure was not perfect with the Canucks, I always felt super respected and cheered for by the fans. Kevin, talking about the alumni and the, the bridge that was built from the previous generation, um, what do you think of the Sedins kind of being in that role now for the current Canucks, and have you had a chance to see them yet since you've been here? No, I, I'll, see, I'll see Dan. I talked to both of them. I uh, haven't seen them yet. Got here last night. Um, see them tonight. No, the Sedins are... It's funny that they're being honored now. Like they sh- they should have been on. They should have been in the Hall of Fame while they were playing. Like that's how good of people and players they are. So we could do this whole interview about the Sedins. I could talk about them all day long. Um, two of the best. So glad that they're still involved in the in the organization. I said in my speech, like the culture around here that still kind of exists a little from my time is is because of the Sedins. They are a big part in creating that culture of being the hardest worker, being the best player, being the most humble being uh, just the best at everything. Like, great role models, great teammates. I mean, you guys have heard all the good things about them. They're all true and then some. Luongo also going into the Hall of Fame. Um, he called this deal that you're signing now the second worst in franchise history. What's your response? Like, my first four years playing with Lou, like, he didn't say one funny thing. Like, nothing. <laughs> Like, not in the dressing room, not in the restaurant. Like, the guy was not funny at all. And then, like, this Twitter starts, and now he's, like, a comedian. But he's, he's hilarious, though. He's honestly, like, got a good chuckle out of that. Um, but I'm, he's actually going to be my D partner in the alumni game, or the Hockey Hall of Fame game on Sunday, next Sunday. So we're going to be partners. you, you got to tell him that he thinks he's playing forward. He can't skate, though. I know. And, well, and the Twins are looking forward to playing against him. So you Did gotta... you see what the teams are? Yeah. It's like... You're All the trouble. good players, like the Twins, Alfredson, Spezza. And then it's like Rob Ray, uh, me, um, Wendell Clark, like all these, Shane Corson, like all these just mutants. <laughs> yeah. That are just like, oh, we got Hamus, so we got one player. But we're going to, no, we're going to just have to bully them. And then we got Luongo, can't even skate. Size 14 skates. Yeah, that'll be fun. But you Corey Schneider, though. He'll be busy. That is former, and again for today, Canucks defenseman Kevin Bieksa. A tour de force media availability with Kevin Bieksa on the night that he is being honored here at Rogers Arena, signing a one-day contract and retiring with the team. And, I mean, look, that's the whole experience, right? From humor to really heartfelt emotion, honest insight, insight about winning, insight about his post-media or his post-playing career in the media, all of it mixed in together. I mean, 
it's hard not to smile. Like you and I are listening. You were there live. I was listening to it back for the first time in full, and it's hard not to smile and just crack up listening to him. You it's perfect. Hear, it's note perfect. You can hear a lot of my laugh in that <laughs> yeah. audio. I wasn't. It wasn't like I was the hero," said Kevin Bieksa. You and he looked at Ben Kuzma for this. Used to carve <laughs> me all the time. I came out of the gates and had a real good first couple of years, and then I got injured and production was down, and I was called on it by the media and the fans, and I responded. Yeah. There you go. My point is... From the man himself. If your standard to be a fan favorite in Vancouver is nobody ever criticized you, then there's never been a fan favorite in this market. I can't hear you. The referee already stepped into the (laughs) ring There's never been a fan favorite if that's the the standard. Of course he got criticized sometimes. Of course. Sometimes. Sometimes. (laughs) Vastly underrated in this market during his playing career. In fact, the love that fans have glommed onto him since because of his role on HNIC, because of his charisma has only caused him to be properly rated for just how good he was as a first pair player for this team. Uh, this text comes in unsigned. It's been a hard number of years as a Canucks fan, a really tough start to this year. There's a negative cloud around this team, so it's really gl- great to hear Bieksa say how proud he is to be a Canuck. Some much-needed positivity uh, for this team. Another one says, best interview ever. He had me laughing and crying at the same time. Uh, minor Matt in Abbotsford says, this is the type of personality the Canucks seem to be desperately missing in the room right now. I'd extend it beyond that. The league. Like, there are not a lot of people like Kevin Bieksa <laughs> in the league. There aren't a lot of people like Kevin Bieksa anywhere on earth. Um, you know, he, he was a, he was a special part of a pretty special group of players that we were very fortunate to watch come up, improve, develop, and do some really special things in the NHL. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, some of his comments and just what he had to say to the players that uh, he mentioned off the top of the press conference. We'll hear back from uh, Bruce Boudreaux as well. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650, live from Rogers Arena on a Canucks game day. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.com. Net. The uh, the rave reviews continue to come in for Kevin Bieksa. Eric and Dawson Creek says, uh, one of the best interviews ever. Perfectly encapsulates what Bieksa was and always will be to this market. Had me laughing so many times, but also shed a few tears. I miss him and that team so much. Just makes what this team is right now even more depressing. That's Eric and Dawson Creek. I like this one, unsigned. It says... Is it bad that when the Canucks season goes poorly, in brackets, most seasons, I start watching all the game recaps of the 2010-11 season and live in the glory years? I mean, it's not ideal. It's not what you want to be watching 11-year-old games instead of the current games. Not or 12-year-old games now uh, at the start of that season instead of the current games. Not necessarily uh, what you want. And also, even more pushback. Even more pushback. Trancer to your uh, he wasn't a fan favorite <laughs> take. And then someone's like, everyone loved BX and Burroughs. Like, yeah, everyone loved Burroughs. 
<laughs> I don't know. Burroughs was a fan favorite. I bet if you could, I bet you could go back and like in the internet way, internet wayback machine or whatever, and s- troll through the uh, the forums on like Canucks.com and HF boards, and I bet you could find some unhinged anti Alex Burroughs takes. No if chance you, if you went looking for them. The the worst criticism of Burroughs ever was like he's really he's really he shouldn't be on the power play. That was like what people said sometimes. And that that, was like, he, he wasn't a fixture on the power play. He wasn't good at it for yeah. some reason. I don't understand why he was good at everything else. He probably would have been able to figure it out in time, but for whatever reason, he was I remember there was one there lightning was, there was the one point with like for just like a moment they tried to play him on the point on the power play and I just remember thinking like cuz I I was a huge huge Alex Burroughs fan and the reason I mean, so so many people were, right? But one of the reasons I was is because I was always so impressed with his ability to improve and learn how to do new things. Like, every time they asked him to do something, he figured out a way to master it. He figured out a way to be really good at it. And I remember thinking that was like the heat check moment to see if, how far that skill extends, right? Like, can we play him on the point? Not just on the power play, but on the point on the power play. And will he be able to figure it out? Burroughs? I was like, yes. It was like maybe like one game or one, even like a couple practices or something. I just remember thinking like, this is like, I wouldn't have had this reference at the time. But it's like Steph Curry pulling up from the logo. Like, heat check. All right. <laughs> how much can you actually figure literally anything out and yeah that one that one didn't work well, anyways and there were there was a long history of good forwards who did really well playing the point with the twins and Mikhail Samuelson stands out to me actually the Canucks power play was at its best in that 2010-11 season after Edler left the lineup for surgery we all remember it as Edler Erhoff Kessler, mm-hmm. Kessler and, the twins. and the twins yeah but really the, the sort of best stretch that it had was with four forwards one defenseman sort of um, perhaps uh, some foreshadowing for for the evolution of the NHL itself today, right in the in the post Adam Oates era, where the one three one is completely ubiquitous and is very rare that you see two defenders on the same power play unit. Yeah, um, I just remember Kessler in front of the net being an absolute menace in that menace. in that power play. Just oh, so good, out of control. Well, good. And he figured out that wrist shot that year, scored forty. It was um, that that was the thing, right? Like that was the environment when when. We talked about this on the show yesterday, but when BX is talking about the culture, when he's talking about the environment, the competitiveness that that group had with one another, how much it stems from the twins, Mm. right? The way that that manifests itself is things like really great defensive center becomes 40-goal scorer for funsies, right? It's fifth-round pick who Brian Burke doesn't think can skate well becomes (laughs) long-standing, like a top-pair defenseman for a decade. Right, it's that you bring in a third pair guy in Christian Erhoff. Everyone thought he was a third pair guy in San Jose, and all of a sudden he's a fifty-five point defenseman, right? Playing twenty-two minutes a night. Uh, you bring in a guy like Dan Hamus. Everyone thought he was a second pair guy. All of a sudden he's a t- one of the best shutdown defensemen in the NHL with this team, right? Burroughs is the obvious one, but you go down the list like what guy didn't max out what they could possibly be within the confines of, of sort of the environment that the organization created around this group of people, a really special group of people from 08 to 2013. All of them made the absolute best, became the apex versions of themselves. Yannick Hansen became a 20-goal scorer. Yeah. I mean, Even like, I think about Manny Malhotra. He's, oh. When he signed, I remember, I, I think it was from somebody who was covering the Blue Jackets, which is where he came from, and they like, they jokingly referred to him as a fifth line center, right? Like that—that that was his standing, you know, kind of fringe guy, fourth line player. And then, I, I mean, he got selkie votes in that year. He was phenomenal at he his job. Him. 
He was absolutely phenomenal at his job that season with the Canucks. And it's just another example, as you said, of guys figuring out a way. And that, I mean, that stood out to me is just the comments that Bieksa had right off the top. You know, he talked to the team. And as he said, I think this is very understandable and very wise. He doesn't want to go in there and preach, right? He's not their coach. He's not with them day to day. But the comments about carrying yourself with with that competitiveness, you know, that professionalism, pushing each other to get better, how it starts from within, how it's about holding each other accountable. I think it's probably a very important message for these players to hear right now, right? I mean, I, I'm not in the room, obviously, so it's, it's hard to comment on these things, but over and over and over and over again, we hear from people who are exposed to it about how all of those things need to be better. Yeah, well, I mean, you contrast what I said. Everyone becomes the apex version of themselves with what we've seen here, where it feels like every every guy who comes to this team becomes a reduced version of what they are and then leaves and becomes what they are again or the apex version of what they are in a different organization. Now, there's a bias here too, right? One reason why teams that are at the very top of the league, teams like Tampa Bay, teams like Toronto, teams like... Florida um, seem to, you know, ah, we'll claim Josh Mahura on waivers and all of a sudden he's a stud, right? Or uh, Brandon Montour, yeah, now he's a 50-point mm. defenseman or on pace to be this season, right? Uh, is that they're good teams. There's good environments, right? It's it's one thing to be a, a stud third liner on a great team. You, you, are, you have better infrastructure. You have better puck moving. You have, you know, all of this institutional know-how that sort of falls in line in service of the goal of winning games at the NHL level, right? And you can come and fit into that more easily when it's already in place. And one thing that's been tough, I think, for this franchise is that infrastructure doesn't exist. You have to rebuild it, right? And a lot of it, for me anyway, starts with the personnel that you have moving the puck, setting the table. Increasingly, I'm convinced that having a defense capable of defending but also uh, supporting the offensive attack is is the equivalent of an offensive line in football, mm. right? You need it. Otherwise, everything looks gets bogged down, gets gummed up, looks, looks like a mess. And that's sort of the key thing that I think this team requires if they're going to start to put people, players, free agent signings, draft picks, whomever, into positions to look better, to max out what they can be, as opposed to the trend we've seen over the past few years – of, you know, development flatlining, players coming here and struggling and then leaving and doing far better, um, of this organization failing to identify your Travis Boyds or your Jimmy VCs when they when they come through, only for them to be useful pieces elsewhere. I mean, BX talked about that himself, right? Saying, like, when we, when we were at our peak and guys would come in, they could be 10-year veterans with other organizations, and it was noticeable. They, they would comment on it when they came in, how good the culture was and how – how easy it was and to a certain uh, extent to kind of be the best versions of themselves. And, you know, as you allude to the present day, I mean, look at Niels Hoaglander is going to be a healthy scratch tonight. Jack Rathbone can't get in the lineup. And you can point to deficiencies in those players' games and say, well, they're not really moving the needle and all that. And that's fair. But when it happens over and over and over again, you have to kind of do some introspection as well, right, Dranzer? And think, okay, maybe is there is there a pattern here that we have to pay attention to and that we have to try to turn around? And, I mean, we'll see. You know, we have a question coming in here, you know. Um, does does Hoaglander have to go down to Abbotsford to kind of rebuild some confidence and, and gain some identity? I, I don't see confidence as the issue. 
I, I just wonder if it's a fundamental misunderstanding of, of what it takes to win, what it takes, what, what a third line looks like, what a defense core looks like. I mean, you think about this defense core, if you throw them in the mid-90s, they probably look like an NHL defense core, right? It's just that now the way you defend is different. The, the, the act of defending, what defensemen are asked to do is different today than it was 20 years ago. And, you know, I, I mean, I said it because I find it frustrating, but I said it the other day that there's not a single player in this lineup. Like, there's not a single player in this lineup tonight that I don't think could have a role on a, on a really good team. And I believe that. Like, Dakota Joshua's a really good forechecker. He's been doing f- phenomenal work, in my view, I've the last actually two been, weeks. I've actually been meaning to bring that up because I was uh, critical of him in the preseason and early in the season. Yeah. I really liked what I've seen him. Oh, he's, he's working been, hard. He's been he's, excellent. He's, for a fourth-line player, and I, I actually like the hands. You know, We saw him make a couple of nice plays. Um, I think it was in the Minnesota game. Mm-hmm. I get it. Like I'm seeing it from Dakota Joshua right now. Neil's him on. Obviously, we know that he's been an effective low-event option, uh, often thrust into matchup minutes. Um, you know, it, like it was a surprise against the Devils because the Devils were getting shots against the Canucks with mm. Neil Zoman on, and I was like, "What's going on?" <laughs> Which, by the way, is a compliment, right? So, you know, and yet for all of that, for all of that, I mean, <laughs> the Stanika, the abandonment of the Stanika at center experiment after one game, right? Sheldon Dry's coming up. Is that just to help power play too? It's tough to wrap my head around. Right, I mean, you know, and and then and then you look every team. Well, and hold on again on the Stanika thing. Like I made this point with Riley Stillman, right? Like, okay, we're trying to, you know, we're not going to take him out of the lineup because we're trying to maybe build up his value. We invested in this player, and you know, we want to put him in a position to succeed. Well, are, is that the goal for the remainder of this year, or is winning games the goal for the remainder of this year? Right, and it's kind of a similar thing. With, with the Stanika Dries, okay, you just got this player. You're doing the reverse now, right? You just got this player, and maybe you think Sheldon Dries at center gives you the best chance to win tonight, but you just invested in Jack Stanika on the premise that he could help fill a major organizational need at center by being right-handed and playing that kind of bottom six role. Not that they can't go back to it on Saturday or whatever down the line, but it's just – it speaks to – a lack of clarity about what are they actually trying to do from this point on this year? Is it ice the best, the lineup that gives them the best chance of winning games, game in, game out? Or is it, okay, well, we have these investments and we want to you know, promote the growth and development of certain players. It seems to be a little bit of both and a little bit of, or a little bit of both right now. And I don't really think that makes a ton of sense. And this Nico one is the latest example of that for me. But what else can you expect when you're not aligned, right? I mean, if this comes back, I don't, I actually don't even want to keep bringing this up, but this is what happens when you constantly have coaches working lame duck seasons or with extraordinary pressure on them to win Right. And then a management team that's really focused on player development as a core tenet of their strategy or plan uh, to get this team to the next level. Right. I mean, that those are those two things are clearly in conflict, clearly, and have been with a myriad of personnel decisions uh, over the course of, um, you know, this season. I mean, even even on defense, like you can see the conflict even tonight. Right. Like there's no way that if you're trying to scrap out two points tonight and that's the only goal that Kyle Burroughs should be in the press box, right? But there's also no way that if you're trying to develop players that Jack Rathbone should be in the press box, much less Nils Hoaglander, right? And it's, all three of them are are going to be. Right, so it's it's just like you end up stuck. You end up with this sort of incoherence that I think, you know, you can see 
And if you can see it as a fan, if we can see it as media, I guarantee you the players can. So, you know, that sort of becomes an issue. I, wa- I want to read this text from Chet and Burnaby, who says, put your PR hat on. When I hear BXL, late career Lou, Marchand t- now talk, I wonder why more players aren't encouraged, you know, and I, I think he means to be personable. Mm-hmm. Is it just the code? Lou became so much more popular once he started joking about. It's really interesting. I, I think the league really struggles. Do you watch any of the NHL's, like, player TikToks where they talk about, like, whose numbers not. in your phone? Well, good for you because they're so boring, <laughs> you know? To some extent, to some extent, I do think that there's a challenge with hockey culture itself in terms of rewarding conformity, encouraging conformity, in, in terms of how people um, engage with the public. I, I think there's definitely a reticence to make headlines a- across players, across uh, especially players, frankly. Like, I, I don't even think it's all team-imposed or league-imposed. Do I think the NHL could do a better job selling stars? You know, and, th- and that's one thing, too. Like, you think about the NBA – and you think about star players. You think about how they're sort of – they resonate for basketball fans. Mm-hmm. And the idea of bas- being a basketball fan is like a real thing. Like people talk about XYZ, star player in Sacramento, or, oh, that Keegan Murray, right? Like people have these takes and takes about stars, and you debate whether or not they're like, you know, man enough to win the big one and like on and on. But, you know, those players feed into it. They snipe at each other on Twitter. They comment on, you know – uh, John Morant calling them the bad Thursday night football game poo. And it's like, it's not a big deal, but it's just like <laughs> you're watching the game and you're like, man, John Morant, he nailed it. Nailed it. Should have been a Grizzly, right? Um, so, you know, you don't have that same dynamic in the NHL. And I do think part of it is uh, that the league could do a much better job, and frankly, the players union too, of selling these people, particularly because for the most part, hockey players are – easy to work with like Mm. they're agreeable they're you know often pretty sharp pretty funny um there there's a lot of personalities in the league that sort of don't aren't positioned in a way where people care and and that's sort of amplified too because of the breakdown in fandom where it becomes a bit of a regional sport where fans are more likely to be a canucks fan than they are to be an nhl fan right um you know and then and then too you see what the Canucks are playing Trevor Zegras tonight. Zegras has a big personality. His game has big personality. What's the cost of that? He gets jumped, right? He yep. gets shots taken at him by uh, rival broadcasters or veteran players, right? There's a real sense that he's, like, too big for his britches. You know, you go back to the conversation we published with Elias Pettersson at the, ahead, of the, ahead of the year, right? He doesn't want to make headlines. He's not posting on social media, right? He's in some ways been ground down from doing that. And I think partly it's maturity, partly it's that he found that it was a distraction, but I guarantee you, too, it's partly, you know, how he feels he has to conduct himself to be a leader on this team. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a problem. I I just don't think there's a lot of, like, P.K. Subban, Brad Marchand types who understand that it's a show. Hmm. And the other commentary that uh, Kevin Bieksa had that I think reflects this was, you know, he wanted to play in a Canadian market. He loved the pressure, the accountability, the you know, Sturm and Drang, let's call it that, that, that comes with playing in a market where, you know, everyone cares. You think about football, I'm talking European football, soccer, like people want to play for the biggest clubs. The idea that you wouldn't want to play for the people in front of the fans that care the most, you know, is like anathema. Like no one understands wanting to have that mindset. You want to play in the pressure cooker. You want to play 
in the uh, under the brightest lights in the game. It's like the ultimate reward by a player to be like selected by Real Madrid, totally. selected by Manchester United in the back of the day. Yeah. Not so much now, but you know what I mean, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Manchester City. Sure. <laughs> the other, the good Manchester team. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Badge. Um. So yeah, I mean you. But in hockey. You know, it's a it's a real thing. Like, do you want to play in a Canadian market? Lots of guys don't, right? Lots of guys just list all the Canadian teams and sometimes not Vancouver among the teams they don't want to go to. Um, you know, the, there's a different ethic, a, a different sort of culture of rewards, a different level of prioritization in terms of what players want. And I do think that that's a, a tough thing to break through. I don't think it's something that, you know, like one content executive can fix. Um, but I also do think it limits the extent to which, like, people look at the F1, the success of the F1 series um, on Netflix, and they're like, oh, if you could just do that with hockey with the access. And it's like, no, like, that's not sufficient. A- access is insufficient to accomplish that. You also need personable, worldly, you know, interesting people if you're going to tell those human stories and do it right. And, you know, I do think to some extent hockey culture just doesn't have as many of them as some of the other leagues, and that's a problem. I do think it's notable also, even with Kevin Bieksa, who was notably funny and entertaining when he was a player, it was a, taken to a completely different level after he was a player, right? Like, he obviously felt a certain amount of more freedom and more ability to be truly himself once his playing days were over, and that's one of the guys who, as you said, is kind of a rare uh, personality type to begin with within the game. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll play Bruce Boudreaux here. Dmitry Filipovich from the Hockeypedia cast is going to join us in the next segment, talk about the Ducks and the uh, rest of the Canucks' upcoming opponents as well onto the weekend and looking into next week. But first, here is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux. Bruce, I saw Bieksa left morning skate a little bit early. What's his status for tonight? Uh, he's year to year <laughs> right now. No, Kevin was gracious, came out, had a little spin around, had a good little chat with the players, and, um, you know, I mean, we were happy to have him. Can that give a boost to the group to have him around and have him celebrated tonight? Well, I hope so. I mean, uh, he's a winner. And, I mean, he talked about winning. And, uh, you know, that's uh, uh, one thing you can never have enough of. No Besser on the ice today? Has he had a setback or anything? He hasn't had a setback. He's just waiting. It's day-to-day to get clearance from the doctor to, to be able to skate. How would you describe the accident, what he's meant over the course of his career? Well, I don't really know what he's meant to, to Anaheim. Uh, you know, every time we played Anaheim and Bieksa was in the lineup, you'd talk about the Sedins and you'd talk about Bieksa. And... Uh, um, but I do know in Anaheim, uh, or when he was in Vancouver, but when, in, in Anaheim, uh, the one thing I knew about him is he was as good a team player as you're ever going to find. If anybody got in trouble, he was there to protect you. If anybody got hit, he was there to jump in. He was, uh, he was all about team. He was well-liked by everybody. And, like, I mean, the, and, and he competed every night. Whether he was good, whether he was bad, it didn't make any difference. He was competing and doing everything he could to win because to Kevin and to all the great ones, it's all about winning. Sheldon comes in, looks like he's going to play on the third line based on how you did drills. Well, what are you hoping to get from him? Well, he's played well for us. I mean, and uh, a lot of times uh, there was no reason to send him down other than numbers. But uh, um, we thought we needed another centerman, you know, and that's why Jack went to the right side. Uh, and, and he, you know... Um, Sheldon plays the second unit on the power play too, and and he's been helping that. So, I mean, to me, it was a no-brainer to get him back up here. That looked 
also like a split on the uh, OEL Myers pair with them playing with yeah. some of your new defensemen yeah. or newer defensemen? Trying something different. Yeah. Like, I mean, let's face it, when your goals against average is over four, we've got to try something new because that isn't working. Uh, Niels Oglander coming back out of the lineup. What have your conversations with him been like? What do you uh, need to see more of? I just think I'll keep with me and Niles stuff that we talk about uh, um, between us. But he knows, you know. Well, I think you're just looking for something that uh, fits. Like, that's the the best thing. I mean, uh, um, we think, you know, Stillman is a stay-at-home defenseman. Um, and, and, you know, he <clears throat> he's just, you know, does all the simple things. He might be good with Tyler. You know, might, with uh, uh, Bears, he just, you know, he's a little more active than Tyler. He's got a little bit of better skater. and. And he might be good with Ekman Larson, but unless you try them, you, you don't know. Never. Well, I mean, we just we, we say what we say that stays in the room. But I mean, I mean, every game is different. Every day is different. So I mean, there's always new things to uh, to get excited about. There's always new things to to talk about and to do. So that's what we do. I mean. Uh, Nothing, this isn't. There's no Groundhog Day here. I mean, uh, you've got new players in the lineup, a new team to play, and you can correct things. And you can, you know, a lot of things going on. Uh, Spence Martin left the ice first. Are you able to confirm your starter? Yeah, he's playing. And what went into that decision tonight? Well, the, the plan was for him to play this middle game. No. Bruce, with the fans, you're uh, maybe the most popular guy in the organization on many nights. Are you prepared to share the spotlight with Kevin tonight? Oh. Yeah, he can have it all. <laughs> Believe me. That's the last thing I want, quite frankly. I'm uh, grateful when it does happen, but, I mean, it's all about the players, and, and Kevin's earned it. It's his great, it's his career. It's his night. Uh, hopefully we can support that night by having a good win. Do you have to simplify things tonight, Bruce? Do you have to go away from maybe some of your strengths, like you don't want or a D-man pinching, or, or would that kind of go away from some of the advantages you could create in the defensive zone? We... If we simplify it anymore, we won't be playing. I'm just telling you, it's, uh, they're not supposed to be doing the, those things. Yeah. So we want to simplify it. So we'll see. That oh, is boy. oh, boy. Head coach Bruce Boudreaux speaking to the media uh, before tonight's game against If we simplify Anaheim. it anymore, we won't be playing. Now, here's the thing to note about Bruce Boudreaux really quickly. You, you can notice as these availabilities go on, Effusive Bruce Boudreaux from the Bruce There It Is era uh, has left the building. Yes. Right? This is a more guarded coach than he was last season. Um, and one thing I notice a lot is as availabilities run a little long, I notice a change in his posture. I'm trying to get questions in quickly mm-hmm. because I notice there's a change in his posture. You know, it's not a timing thing, it's an environment thing where all of a sudden you can tell he doesn't want to keep answering questions, and once that happens, he starts to try to end the availabilities quick. So his answers get really short, three, four words, keep it super simple. So I'm not reading as much into, if we make it any simpler, we won't be playing, but, oh boy, that is a heck of a commentary. I wonder quickly, before we go to break, read one text. Um, He calls me annoying, calls us annoying. Yes. And says, they're professionals. Professionals keep private matters private and focus on what they do. Think doctor, lawyer, accountant. 
Um, I no one is paying four hundred dollars to watch an, a doctor or a lawyer or accountant work. Also, I can assure you with firsthand personal experience that if you think lawyers as a class are buttoned up. <laughs> not messy in their personal life yeah. and only ever focus on oh. work. And also, I can assure you that is not correct. And also shy away from media attention. Yes. My goodness, you yes. haven't met a lot of lawyers. Yes. Hey, and, and last thing, last thing, I remember debating this with a player uh, when, I, when I was down in Florida, and I was telling them about a couple things I needed them to do, and they were not wanting to do them. And they said, I'm here to, I'm here to play hockey. Like, my job is to play hockey. And I said, no, your job is to be worth paying to watch play hockey. And this is part of that. And they quite quickly understood that in fact that was correct it's canucks talk here on sports at 650 dimitri filipovich joins us next to dive into the canucks upcoming opponents here on sports at 650 Welcome back to Canucks Talk, final segment of the show here on Sportsnet 650, live from the Kintex studio at Rogers Arena. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or our Butis in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, <laughs> I love the mo- – I'll never get over the momentous music and then us transitioning into, like, looking ahead at the next four games for the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> yes, it's all very serious. So good. But Dimitri, we're going to be joined by Dimitri momentarily here. I did want to read this text, which is, what could the Canucks get in a trade for BXA? A true rental. I mean, yet, yet another <laughs> yet another example, uh, Drance, of this team not trading a pending UFA. Honestly. <laughs> as their contract is about to expire. Wow. wow, yeah. I mean, they could trade him to the Ducks really quick so he could retire <laughs> – as a member of both teams that he played for, right? I mean, why not? Yeah. Yes. Good well, way anyways, to create asset I wanted, value. I wanted to get that one in. I but uh, now joining us, he uh, he joins us every week here on the program. You also hear him as as the host of the Hockey PDO cast on the Sportsnet Radio Network. He is Dmitry Filipovich. Dmitry, how's it going? Fellas, I'm sitting here in the studio all by myself, feeling a little lonely. <laughs> You've got so much room to spread out and really make yourself comfortable as we are here uh, at absconded. Rogers Arena. Yes, we've, we've left you. We've abandoned you there. Uh, but we're here, of course, uh, in preparation for the game between the Canucks and the Ducks tonight. Hasn't been a pretty start to the season for the Anaheim Ducks. I know they've won a couple in a row, but the numbers do not look good. What has gone wrong with Anaheim early in the season, Dimitri? I mean, defensively, they're an utter mess. It's 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 a very unserious team in terms of their defensive schemes and their defensive structure. It, I don't know if it's a lack of talent or, or just a lack of preparation, but their in-zone coverage, particularly defensively, is, is in shambles at all times. So um, I think this could be a pretty low-key, fun game in, in terms of a lot of goals being scored. I mean, their most recent contest against the Sharks um, – Jacob Silverberg literally scored on his own goalie with a beautiful shot. So uh, I think we're going to see a lot of fireworks tonight. I theorized while sort of echoing your commentary, because, you know, you and I are probably chiefs of the disappointed in the Ducks fan club. Like, no one else had any expectations for this team this year. And I was sort of theorizing that I wonder how much the absence of Getzlaff uh, this season has has hurt them, just in terms of being able to translate a more serious approach onto the ice. You buy in, you buy in that theory, or do you think something else is going on? I, mean, I guess maybe. Yeah, I mean, we saw we saw a lot of this towards the second half last year, even when he was around, though. Mm-hmm. So I'm not entirely sure. Like, I think in terms of the pieces they have, they should be better than they are at that end. I think a lot of this comes down to kind of attention to detail and, and preparation more so than actual talent. But listen, Drance, we, we were really high on the Ducks, unfortunately, but we were also really high on the Devils and the Sabres. So I think two for three is, is pretty good. Two for three is there not bad. Go. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. A passing grade. Well, yeah. just like, just like I, I – 
said Derek Grant was one of my guys, and someone texted in making fun of me for Mason Appleton, but no one ever brings up Connor Clifton. No one ever brings up the Connor Clifton hit. Anyway, um, yeah, so the Ducks, I I mean, I think this is going to be a very good game. Like, if you want to come to the arena and enjoy some good vibes, BXA retirement night tonight, the Ducks are in town. This, to me, feels like as good a bet as you'll have to have a nice night out for Canucks fans. Um, What should Canucks fans be watching for or worried about at all when it comes to what the Ducks can do from an attacking perspective? Yeah, I'm curious to see if they're going to be playing Troy Terry and Trevor Zegers together. I think recently they split them up, but for a while they were playing together, and their numbers, uh, they're really riffing uh, off each other and are playing remarkably well. And I think Dallas Eakins, the one thing he does do well is he does a pretty good job of sheltering them in terms of throwing them out exclusively for offensive zone draws and keeping them out of the defensive zone so they can kind of play with the puck in space. And Troy Terry is one of my favorite players in the league to watch. I think for all the attention that Trevor Zegers gets for the you know the, the nifty passes and the lacrosse goals and everything like that, Troy Terry is actually the guy you should be watching because he's so good at exploiting that triangle where he puts it under the defender's stick. He puts it kind of between their legs and throws them off back and draws penalties and so I think watch that I, I echo your sentiment in the terms of the watchability of this game like I don't think the Sharks re- or the Ducks really have any sort of defensive system they kind of just play shinny out there so I think it'll be a good back and forth game with very little defense involved so uh, that'll make for fun hockey you mentioned Trevor Zegers and yeah like if you're if you're sitting down for some reason to watch Anaheim Ducks highlights he's probably going to be featured heavily in them but beyond the the highlight real plays you know his possession numbers are actually really good this mm-hmm. year, which is pretty impressive considering, as you said, the lack of defensive organization and the lack of structure the rest of the team is playing with. You know, you mentioned the deployment. He's getting a lot of offensive zone starts. Obviously, that helps. But what does he do beyond just the kind of the flashy highlight reel plays that actually translates into driving play successfully on the ice? Well, I think a lot of it is playing with Troy Terry, honestly. I don't, I don't want to take away from Zegers there, but I think the two of them – have a really good feel for kind of where the other guy's going to be. And so they throw it into space and allow the other guy to go get it. So they, they kind of lean on the puck really well that way, despite the fact that neither guy is particularly big so that they can kind of cycle it in the offensive zone. And so um, I think that the two of those guys are, are, are kind of, you know, the, the key building blocks there, especially now that Jamie Drysdale is going to be out for the season. They're the two fe- players they want to feature. The, they're the future of this team. And so they're the kind of the guys to watch for me. Dimitri, we're getting some texts in the inbox, so before we transition to talking about the other teams the Canucks will play this week, I wanna I wanna throw this at you. Um, what does the PDO what does PDO stand for? Why is it called the PDO cast? Is that a statistics acronym? Genuinely asking. Multiple people want to know. Explain for people what PDO is. A PDO is one of the OG hockey analytics stats i want to say um it's just a combination of shooting percentage and save percentage basically for a team or for an individual um we've kind of moved past referencing pdo as a stat i I think we we should have as a community uh because the two things almost have nothing to do with each other in in a way they're you know completely opposite in some sense so i i split them up but uh, when I started it back in 2015 or whatever, it was still being kind of more commonly used, especially in my own work. And it's a play on podcasts. You just move the, the D and the O around there. So it's a nifty in that way as well. So, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a, a bit of a dated reference at, at this point, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dimitri. My understanding is while it looks like an acronym and you say it like an acronym, it actually does not stand for anything. That's right. Yes. <laughs> but But if you really want an acronym to put on it, it's a percentage-driven outcome. Right. Yep. And uh, and uh, but but really, it, PDO takes its name from the uh, internet boards poster, the the irreverent Oilers fans board poster 
uh, Brian King, who invented the statistic originally. Um, all right, let's move on to a more serious team. Although not a team that's playing particularly well at the moment, the Nashville Predators. Mm. What's what, why? I mean, they they t- roasted the Sharks in Europe. They have a good team. I look I look at them on paper. I like what I see. I do worry if the defense has enough speed. But aside from that, why are they struggling? I was watching their most recent game against the Oilers. I was watching the Sportsnet broadcast and second intermission. I, I don't know what the score was. It was like six one for the Oilers or something like that. And the entire conversation for that second intermission was about how. The Predators are, are the toughest team in the league. They're going to want to fight in this third period. I was like, oh, wow, this this, this kind of sums up the state of the uh, of the National <laughs> Predators. Now this is the breakdown of, of what they're trying to accomplish tonight. Um, yeah, listen, I was pretty reasonably optimistic on them heading into the season. They made the playoffs last year. They got swept pretty easily by the Avalanche, but they didn't have UC Soros for that series. They were a 97-point team, and then they basically went out and added Nino Niederreiter and Ryan McDonough without sacrificing anything from their existing roster. And so I think there was a reason to expect that they could at least match that, if not slightly build on it. I guess part of the concern that maybe we should have given more attention to was the fact that they were riding a very high shooting percentage as a team all year, and all of their top players essentially had career seasons, not only for themselves, but for the franchise as a whole, right? Like they'd never even had a 35-goal scorer before in National Predators history. And then Matt Duchesne and Philip Forsberg, both top 40. Roman Yossi was flirting with 100 points. And so it kind of, you know, it ha- they haven't had an easy go of it offensively. They haven't been turning their shots into goals. And this is never going to be a team that's necessarily a high-volume one. So if they're not going to be efficient uh, in that regard, they're going to struggle to score. And that's kind of what we've seen so far. Are they fast enough from the back end? I mean, McDonough's a tremendous player. But right. once you put, you know, basically... Basically, Roman Yossi is the only guy we'd look at as sort of like a contemporary puck-moving type. Uh, do they have enough push? Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'd say probably not. I mean, and, and the concern for me with them, you know, beyond just this coming game or even the rest of the season, is they really box themselves in with this team, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they've committed, like, I think nearly $60 million in cap uh, allocation for the next however many years on like seven or eight guys who are all in their 30s already at this point. Um, and so this is kind of the team they're going to be. And I guess, you know, David Poyle at this point of his career probably doesn't care or isn't really thinking about what the National Predators are going to look like five years from now. So they're just trying to maximize this window. But when you do stuff like that and you, and you kind of sacrifice the future for really short-term stuff, sometimes it can work out this way where all of a sudden you realize, hey, this team's not actually that good to begin with, so uh, why have we committed this much to it to begin with? It's been very fashionable this year, uh, Dimitri, to say, you know, hey, these aren't your uh, these aren't your father's New Jersey Devils because they're actually fun and exciting and fast, unlike so many Devils teams of the past. Are these, in fact, your father's Nashville Predators, though, where they're going to have more success by, you know, being defensively oriented and with goaltending? I mean, UC Saros is really good, so I think he'll certainly be better than he's been so far. I think they're going to be better in front of him defensively. They've given up a lot, especially recently. I I, I don't want to go that far because (laughs) I still, like, I love Philip Forsberg. He's so fun to watch. Um, Matt Duchesne is still incredibly skilled. Michael Granlund's a really nifty playmaker. Roman Yossi is really fun to watch in open ice. Like, they have individual talent, so it's not necessarily a situation where they're going to hope that their leading scorer is going to have 25 goals and they're just going to grind out 2-1 wins. But they certainly, like, as a team, their general philosophy is, all right, let's get the puck deep, let's throw the body around, let's forecheck, let's cycle, let's try to wear the other team down, let's get in as many fights as we can. Like, that certainly is the vibe of this team. 
Dim, I've increasingly started saying that NHL goalies are like fantasy football tight ends, right? There's two of them that really matter and maybe a third, but everyone else you can't really you don't really know what you're going to get year after year. I think we all know Shosturkin and Vasilevsky are, you know, are, are Travis Kelsey, uh, Mark Andrews analogs here. Um, but in terms of a third, you know, Saros and Demko were both candidates. Mm-hmm. Both are struggling in the early going. Is there someone that would stand out to you as, uh, like, as as the Kyle Pitts <laughs> of NHL goaltenders? Well, I don't want to ruin your comp there. I, I think they're much more um, goalies are much more like running backs, no? Mm. Because I think teams, as they're getting smarter, are realizing we probably shouldn't commit top dollar to them. And right. we also shouldn't have a workhorse. We should probably kind of split. We're seeing teams go two, two, three running back committees, split the carries, whatever, have a passing down back. Similar in hockey, we're going away from the 70-start goalie, and they're splitting more so 50-50. So I, I don't want to ruin your comp because I can tell you've, you've put a lot of thought into it. But I, I would say the running well, back. I think you're be right there. from an asset perspective. Right. But I still think I'm right from like an importance the, perspective. From, well, from a performance perspective, right? Like the there's really only two that we know are going to be good enough to carry a team regardless of their quality into the playoffs, and then you know everyone else seems to vacillate, right? Yeah. Like the the you know one guy could be David Njoku last season, and one guy could be David Njoku this season. Just like Demko can be this team's MVP last year, and tonight he's not starting, and you know that feels heavy for people who are close observers of this team you are listening to fantasy football talk here on the <laughs> Sportsnet Radio Network. Um, no i here's my candidate for that I, I still believe in saros and demko so i'm not like dismissing them for that opening there there as you allude yeah. to um I'll, I'll nominate Ilya sorokin mm. um who last year probably should have gotten more vesna finalist consideration like sorokin or shesterkin was gonna win it regardless but i yeah. thought you could make a case that he was probably like the third or fourth best goalie the season just went off the rails for the Islanders and they were sort of irrelevant in the second half. And so no one really cared about it. And I think people still didn't know how much credit to give him versus Barry Trotz and Mitch Korn, but he's been remarkable so far again this season. And I think when you watch him, like totally passes the eye test as well. So I, I'd kind of nominate him as maybe if you're going to say Demko and Saros took a bit of a step back here, then he's jumped into that conversation. Yeah. And to be clear, I, I still believe in both Saros yes. and Demko too. Incredible <laughs> players. In conversation with Dmitry Filipovich, host of the PDO cast here, uh, Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Looking beyond the weekend, the Canucks, they go back out east, uh, including eastern Canada on the road, starting with the Ottawa Senators. And, you know, it was uh, it was the summer of the Senators uh, over the offseason, but they find themselves right now at least in a very familiar place, last place in the Atlantic Division. <laughs> what are your impressions of Ottawa so far right now, Dimitri? <laughs> wow, what a setup for that. Um, <laughs> Hot Pierre summer, baby. Yeah. Well, they've been devastated by two injuries mm. so far. Uh, I think losing Josh Norris really hurts because – he was establishing himself through his first whatever year and a half or two in the NHL as a legitimate high-end finisher and goal scorer. Um, but also, most importantly, he gave them nice balance through their top six, right? Because they started the year with Kachuk, Stutzla, and Batherson as their top line, and then they had Norris centering Giroux and Debrinkat, and both those lines were doing really well. And then now when you subtract Norris from that, they went a couple games experimenting with bumping Derek Broussard up to Claude Giroux's line and and the lack of foot speed between those two at this point of their career was just untenable. So they went away from that. Now they're, I think, going to move Stutzla down there and then maybe promote Pinto. I'm not sure what they're doing with that top six configuration, but losing Norris and his skill set really hurt them quite a bit. So I think that's the first thing we have to talk to and talk about. And the second thing 
is losing Artem Zub, called here Artem Zub, all of a sudden they're right right side of their blue line. I mean, you can make a case that in that game it's going to be the two worst right sides in the NHL. Well, and, you know, one commonality, top four Travis Hamannick in Ottawa, as Canucks fans will remember. Not a great sign for the right side of your of your defense at this point. The top four bowl. It's Ottawa. It's Vancouver. Which right side will come out last? Yeah. Yeah. Stoked. Very excited for that one. Um, let's, let's move to the Habs. Let's quickly move to the Habs. Like, let's just, let, you know, the Ottawa Senators, um, you know, whatever. The Ottawa Senators are a big whatever. For How me. do you whatever the Sens, but you want to talk about the Habs? Because desperately. the Habs, because the Habs are cool. I like the Habs. The thing about the Habs is that Marty St. Louis has them. Like I think the Habs are an absolute pretender in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Dim, why are they so annoying to play against? I mean, I think they're a pretty fun offensive team, right? Like yeah. they're clearly going to have these games where because of the state of their blue line and how young it is, they're going to give up a lot and sometimes it's going to go wrong and they're just going to not have any chance on that given night. But I think they can score enough to at least be a very annoying team to play against and kind of a a disruptor in the Eastern Conference standings. And I think just the difference in Cole Caulfield in particular from when Marty St. Louis took over has been as dramatic as as you'll see. Um, he has seven goals in 10 games so far this season, dating back to last year since Marty St. Louis took over behind the bench. He's got 29 goals in 47 games. And they've done such a good job of getting him out on the rush, getting him closer to the net on the power play, just putting him in positions to use that shot of his as a real weapon as opposed to the way he was being used before with Dominic Ducharme. And so that kind of answers that question for me in terms of the, watching him and Nick Suzuki in particular riff uh, on the power play and at even strength. Like th- That's something that I'd be watching for with this team. They're going to make mistakes. There's going to be ugly nights. But I think the trajectory of them compared to where they were at at this point last year is uh, is a massive improvement for them. Well, and they're riffing with Kirby Doc on the wing. He looks pretty good on the wing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> did, did, did anyone have that take before the season? <laughs> ja- Jamie, you, you thought that, right? Yeah, yeah, so sure. <laughs> Transfer's so proud of himself. So, so proud. proud of himself for getting that one. Uh, I did want to ask you specifically about Nick Suzuki, yeah. though, right? Because, you know, he he really kind of burst onto the on people's consciousness when they went on that playoff run that obviously ultimately ends uh, at the hands of the Tampa Bay Lightning. But where is he at in kind of his progression as a young, you know, top-flight NHL center for you right now? Well, here's the thing. I, I think when he burst onto the scene um, – you know, there were the, the the Patrice Bergeron comp was kind of there, and and you thought he'd be okay. This this two way center, and recently he's been very productive offensively, playing with Cole Caulfield, playing under Artie Marty Saint Louis. The defensive metrics have slipped. I'm not necessarily really worried about that as kind of being an indicator for his future viability as a center. I think they're sort of yoloing it at this point, where it's like they they realize that they're not gonna, they're not competing this season, so why not try to have fun play fast, score some goals. And I think when you're a rebuilding team, that's what you should be trying to do, at least to create an entertaining product, as opposed to being so bogged down, worrying about everyone's roles and playing the right way and getting the right habits. So um, you don't want to see him go too far in that regard in terms of slipping up defensively and just really like losing everything on that end. But I'm not really worried about where he's at at this point in his career, because I think seeing the skill he has in his game with the puck has actually been significantly better than I probably had any reason to believe like after his first season. That Habs blue line's plotting. That Senators blue line is plotting. The Predators blue line is plotting. And the Ducks blue line is the Ducks blue line. This feels like a good week for the Canucks to make up ground. Like, if they're going to put this bad start behind them, this has got to be the week, right? Well, I was looking at their schedule after that. 
It's Leafs, Bruins, Sabres, Kings, Vegas twice, and then the Avs, right, to close out Mm -hmm. the month pretty much. Um, So that's not going to be – as easy i'm looking forward to next week's preview already here it's gonna be it's gonna be fun but um <laughs> yeah no i think i think the commonality here is it's a lot of teams that will allow the canucks to score goals and create offense and, and not necessarily threaten them with their own speed and so um this is certainly a very doable week for them and, and you're right if they're going to show any signs of life this season like this is it's going to have to start right here dimitri always appreciate the time man uh, we'll do it again next week have a great show and thanks for doing this absolutely fellas anytime that is Dimitri Filipovich. You can hear him immediately following our show across the Sportsnet Radio Network with the Hockey PDO cast. An unserious team. The pull quote there from that interview. He's Dimitri not wrong. Filipovich He's not wrong. Him talking about the Anaheim Ducks. He put it better than I did, right? Like, and, and look, this is a really important game for the Canucks. You cannot get beaten on Kevin Bieksonite by a deeply unserious team. Absolutely can't. And hearing sort of dim scouting reports on some of the clubs that await this Canucks team... You know, this is it. This is it right now. You know, you can't wait any longer. They've dug themselves a hole, but it's still early, right? Their, their playoff chances are still 20-ish percent. You have to go something like 8-3 and three before Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, if you're going to be sort of in that playoff mix by that fateful moment on the calendar. And that's gonna that's got to start like 3-1. and one. It's got to start 3-1. and 3-1 one. and one this week. You go 3-1 and one this week. And we'll be able to talk about meaningful games in in November on the back end. If they don't, you know, we're going to be talking about 2011 forever, just like we will tonight, right? As we should. And then a a week from now, we'll be talking about it again with Luongo and the Twins going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. This week, right now, right now, you have a chance to make the conversation something other than, you know, another Canucks season circles the drain early. Well, uh, final word, we'll go to Marcus and Gibsons, who texts in, did Dimitri just say a rebuilding team can still ice an exciting high-event product? Somebody tell that to the Canucks. That's from Marcus in Gibsons. We will close on that note. It we're, is Kevin, we're trying, Marcus. It is Kevin VX tonight here at Rogers Arena. Should be a fun one. We'll be back to break it all down tomorrow. Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650.